My name is Carter Glace. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for the past year or so, I've been the one and only spider podcaster. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I made some content, found a co-host, formed an unbeatable podcast team, tried to get ad revenue, tried to get ad revenue again, started a Patreon and actually made money from that, tried to do ad revenue again, uh, did some sponsored content, promptly had to apologize for that sponsored content. But hey, no matter what happens, I'm always going to be here recording episodes because I love animation. And if there's one thing that Spider-Mans are good for, it's podcasting and animation. Amazing. Yeah. Can you imagine I, uh, us making ad revenue? Uh, you know? No. And maybe in a different universe, like... Truly. I don't know. Like, you want to talk about the when multiverse? Like popsicles? Yeah, yeah. That's the... <laughs> that's what I love. Like, this movie is all about, like, literally anything can happen in the multiverse. And we're like, it'd be nice to make money from this. Yeah, it'd be or, nice like, if it's just the reg- same old us, but, like, making money. money the way that, that yeah, that we were kind of promised. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the original plan. Right. Um, love you, patrons, a lot. Love you, patrons. Yeah, thank you. Welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And welcome to what I think is the first episode of In Other Tunes in quite a long time. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that, that this was an In Other Tunes installment. But I suppose it you know, it, it totally is. Yeah, um, off the top of my head, Lego Movie might have been the last one back in yeah. like, oof, February or March. Well, there was a period of time we were doing them quite often, like around Halloween, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Um, and I yeah, I think we decidedly, like, stepped away from them because you we were like, our name is Disney Desk. Maybe we should cover more Disney. It is funny, the waves that comes in, where we're like, man, we haven't done anything Disney in, like, a month. We gotta, right. we gotta <laughs> get like back on track. We gotta get back to our mission statement. Exactly. And then, like... Every couple of months, I'm like, do you want to do something not Disney? I feel like, yeah, I we know, just promptly right turn away. Like, yeah. I'm like, what? It, it, it's, it's a metaphor for the public's current uh, relationship with Disney. Exactly. Disney. It's um, embodied in course, our interest in, the, in talking about like, Disney. Right. I'm like, ah, is there anything else we can talk about right now? Well, like, what's a fun... Right. What, is, what has Fox been up to? Yeah, what's Cartoon um, Network doing? But yes, uh, the timing could not have been more perfect. And I feel like if anything was ever going to warrant its own unique little um, in other tunes, it is the film we're about to talk about today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, good people of all spiders and men's and women's and other pronouns... Um, it is time for us to cover Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yes. So Carter and I went to see Across the Spider-Verse a week ago? Two weeks ago? One week ago. Uh, a week ago, I believe. Yeah. Um, our first movie outing since Guardians of the Galaxy, oh which, God, really which well, threatened to ruin us. Um, yes. But we decided to venture back into the theater um yeah. the room where it happened if you if you will and um it might have been had the same a blast. theater if i stop and think about it honestly most yeah most of them <laughs> kind of do feel like i i feel like i'm constantly going into the same couple theaters every time i go to the to but, the movies 
Yes. I That one, we're like, that's almost too overwhelming to do a full episode on. Plus, we were I in the middle never. of uh, Disney Channel month. And this is it kind of felt like that, too, but in a very different way. In more of a, like, wow, that's so much movie way. Yes. Um, yes, that was, um, it was honestly one of, I, like, I almost don't even know where to begin. Because I yeah. think for both of us, the original into the spider-verse was very big for both of us absolutely Um, yeah um you know i what did i say to you like a couple days ago i was like can you believe that the best movie you've ever seen in your life is about spider-man right and i counted with (laughs) the two best movies we've ever seen in our lives are spider-man like the pinnacle of cinema like if we were going to show the aliens anything like to save to the planet. It has to be this. You know, yeah, and I no other, I believe that in my heart. Like I there forget Casablanca. <laughs> forget Citizen Kane. Yeah. Citizen it's Kane this. more like Citizen Lane. Exactly. Casablanca more like Casa no thank you. Get in your casa and stay in there, you punk. Yeah, um, exactly. Killers of the Flower Moon more like Killers, Killers of the Flower I'll, I'll kill you for real. Yeah. I, conf- I panicked. Um, yeah. yeah. But no, it, 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 yeah, it's wild that the, Lu- again, the Lumiere brothers created this idea of transferring light into celluloid to create the illusion of motion. And for over a hundred years, their ghosts have like hovered, waiting for <laughs> their art oh form God. to realize its full achievement. And then they see an animated Spider-Man movie in the year 2023 and they're like yes sweet release we can finally leave now right thank god (laughs) we've been released from purgatory um yeah we got so honestly there was so much to talk about here and it is absolutely a film where we're like we kind of feel like you should go in relatively as cold as possible so we kind of thought of a we kind of thought of a fun exercise on how to handle it so we are going to, for this episode, talk almost exclusively non-spoilers. We're going to talk about um, animation, characters, like broadly about stuff where you won't have really important plot beats spoiled for you, or yeah, too much of like the big meat of the thing. Exactly. We're just you. not going to spoil it. We're going to talk around all the important, important stuff so that those of you that haven't seen it yet won't have, you know, the film spoiled for you, but you can... can essentially gather our takeaways and enthusiasm for it and those of you that don't care about spoilers or want to hear the full in-depth conversation can visit you guessed it our patreon patreon.com <laughs> slash disney desk um this is the patreon exclusive week our um mid mid-tier patrons and above um get two extra bonus episodes every month. So um, one of them this month will be a spoiler-filled Across the Spider-Verse discussion. So if you're interested in hearing that, as well as unlocking a bunch of other really awesome bonus content from the Disney Desk, then visit uh, patreon.com slash Disney Desk. Yeah, I will say, I don't remember who suggested it, but when someone, one of us pitched, like, what if we just do both of them for Spider-Man? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even have to hit the record button more than once. Hell, right. yes. Yes, Great. sign awesome. me up. Yes, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to dive into. But first, it is time for another 
Internet Minute. All right, Sydney, what is your Internet Minute? All right, this is kind of a, like, weird one for me. Um, essentially, I took this screenshot from Instagram from the, randomly from the, now that I'm looking at it, it's the Disney Parks Instagram, which just seems like a random thing to come from there. But, um, I took the screenshot today, actually. It says, we couldn't let the hashtag halfway to the holidays end without celebrating the first family of Christmas. Be sure to stream the Santa Clauses season two. When it premieres season this two, <laughs> right? <laughs> this when it premieres this holiday season exclusively on Disney Plus. Um, drop some snowflakes in the comments if you're excited for the holidays. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> First of all, how do we feel about like I don't know about you, but I kind of roll my eyes at like Christmas in July, Christmas in summertime. People. You want to know what one of the damnedest things is? What? Like, and you know what? Glass houses, because I'm like that where the minute September comes, I'm like, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. And it just goes on for like, yeah, this yeah. is Halloween. Like, I'm shaking yeah. people at the store. Exactly. Like, this is Halloween. Sir, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, you know, glass houses. Um, yeah. Yes. You know what the damnedest thing is? What? One of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Christmas in July. But the idea of Christmas in July annoys me to no end. Right. Literally, a top ten movie for me is a whimsical sort of like like lackadaisy comedy set in like the nineteen forties. And oh. yet, I'm just like guys, there's enough Christmas, right? But like, yeah, I I I just think it's corny. I don't know, but but anyway, I'm sharing this because it's like this halfway through the holidays hashtag has been all over Twitter today. Because, like, mm-hmm. when I, well, first of all, like, when I log into the, our Disney desk social media outlets, like, I've followed only Disney-related pages on both. So it's, like, so I'm getting, strategy. I'm getting spammed with, like, essentially the same copy and pasted posted that gets, like, posted company-wide, I guess. So there's, mm-hmm. like, a ton of, like, Christmas-related announcements coming out that came out today involving the parks and like things coming out on disney plus like and i guess they just made up this halfway to the holidays hashtag today i don't know i've never like i've heard of christmas in july but this is the first time i'm hearing of like people marking halfway to the holidays but you're right glass houses because like i am counting the days down to halloween (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah, but I like really our, our holiday doesn't have religious connotations, so it doesn't feel right. like lightly oppressive. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know what's funny? I do remember Cartoon Network used to always do this Christmas in July. Yes, I remember they, that very And they'd clearly. always say it like that because they would have the baboon do it. Right, yeah. I do remember Cartoon Network's Christmas in July. And, like, I don't know, that they were kind of cute about it. Because they would just show the Christmas episodes, like, of each show that they had at the moment. Like, just the one off, and it would be for, like, one Saturday in July. And that would be mm-hmm. that. But, insta- but like, if you turn on the Hallmark Channel, they're like, this is the bulk of our content, and here it is. Right, right. It's, 
It's also just weird because, again, it's like literally the month after Pride is labeled the halfway to the holidays month. And I'm just like... Yuck. I'm like, it's like, okay, get your rainbows out of here. It's yeah, time that's for the enough, candy canes. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here with these rainbows. Um, But also, <laughs> like, what in God's name is the Santa Clauses? And why is there a season two? I will say that was insane whiplash for me because I knew about the Santa Clauses. I love after all of that, like, oh, Tim Allen's been canceled by Disney. They have Chris Evans replacing him as Buzz Lightyear. And then literally like a month later, they're like, more Santa Claus. Yeah. Everyone loves the Santa Claus. I had no idea Um, about this. I thought it was just another sequel to the film. No, no, it was... it, well, it was one of those, like, it probably was a movie at some point, but they wanted more traffic, so they made it oh, a wait. series. It was never a movie? I don't think so. I swear another Santa Claus movie was coming out, not a series. Maybe I I did not confused. know there was a sequel coming out, and that's what made me go like, oh. Season two, yeah. You know, I turned either, into Tim Allen right there. Either way, season two is <laughs> alarming to hear. That's simply too much Santa Claus. There were three yeah. movies was simply too much Santa Claus. It really was, yeah. Um, what a weird franchise. It it is, yeah. Okay. I get that Disney wants something Christmassy, but like, this ain't it, Chief. Don't they have a I lot know of Noel Christmas didn't work out. Disney? I mean, they do, but they don't have any like definitive Christmas thing. They don't have anything up there with like Christmas story where it's like, well, this will just be on. Oh, I guess like. 50% of the time. I guess the Santa Claus is, yeah, is there. As close as they've As gotten. close as they've got, yeah. Can't you just buy out, like, who owns, who owns It's a Wonderful Life? See if you can just buy that from them. Wouldn't that just be easier? Oh. The path of least resistance, right. i.e. money. Exactly. Okay, okay, what's your internet minute? Okay, so I kind of have a hodgepodge of things, but they're all kind of like snappy, uh, quick topics. Um, recently, the Annecy Animation Film Festival uh, occurred. It is a festival in a small little area of France. Um, it is basically... I didn't know that much about it until the last few years. It seems like... I can't tell if it was always as popular or if it's picking up steam. Um, it's a combination of like screenings and announcements and sort of like presentations. Um, so we get a lot of cool news out of there. Uh, Nimona was screened. It's coming out on Netflix on the 30th of June. Uh, it got pretty rave reviews. People seem very excited about it. And they're also like, yes, it is unabashedly gay and its themes are inherently trans. I see why Disney wasn't too upset about letting this one disappear. Mm. Um, uh, an early cut of TMNT was released and apparently it was unfinished, which I'm like, man, they really do cut these things down to the wire. There are scenes that aren't finished yet. It comes out in like a month. Um, also got a standing ovation. People are really pumped and they confirmed that it's going to have its own series attached to it. Oh, um, Sony announced a new project, uh, Gendy Tarakovsky, who you might know as the guy who made Dexter's Lab, Samurai Jack, Primal, and, um, the new show Unicorn Warriors Eternal, which I haven't really gotten to dive too much into yet. 
this is a passion project of his for a while called Fixed. It's about a dog who realizes he's going to get neutered the day the <laughs> following day and decides to have one night on the town. I do love all of the animation or cinema people on Twitter are getting all huffy about this. Oh and I'm like, God. this man has paid his dues. He got jerked around by this industry for like 20 years. Let him make whatever he wants. If this is what he wants to make, right. let him make his passion projects. And also like animation is cinema. You know what? Some auteurs, some master artists, they don't want to make The Wind Rises. They don't right. want to make Pinocchio. They want to make a dick and balls comedy. And I right. say, let the man make his dick and balls comedy. Sorry to get on my here, soapbox here. this early. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to have hyper energy for this episode, but I'm off the walls. Um, <laughs> dick and balls comedy. Um, uh, DreamWorks announced a new project written by Charlie Kaufman, of all people, with Werner Herzog as, I think, death. It looks kind of cool. Um, Pixar finally showed a trailer for Elio, which is a movie about a kid who gets sucked up into space and mistaken for the ambassador of Earth. And basically, Earth is on trial, so he's got to take the stand. And I'm like, well, that looks very cute. Um, huh. And yeah, that was a lot of the big news that came out. A bunch of series, a bunch of smaller announcements. But yeah, it seemed like a very exciting time. Animation's in a good place. Yeah. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum... Uh, so, as you know, uh, Teenage Kraken is, uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, um, is projected to make $8 million in its opening weekend. It comes out at the end of the month. Uh, that is upsettingly low. And I did a little experiment where I asked some of my friends, I'm like, hey, does the name Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken mean anything to you? And I was shocked how many no's I got, because I feel like you and me have seen this trailer everywhere, all the time, all at once. Yeah, I mean... I've only seen it because I've been to the movies a couple times in the last month or so. So True. But, like, mm-hmm. if I hadn't, I don't know. I haven't, like, I haven't caught any commercials on television about this. Um, but it's also <laughs> weird. Like... Yeah. It's, a, it's weird. That's it's what weird I was going to get to. It's movie. Yeah, it... It's not until someone pointed it out where I really realized what the problem is. One... They showed the first trailer way too soon. Like, they showed it right after Puss in Boots, and that was months and months ago. Like, you gotta time that first trailer really well, or people are going to keep going like, oh, did that come out yet? I thought that it was already out. Yeah. Um, And the marketing is excessively one note. Again, I didn't notice this until someone pointed it out. But literally every trailer is obsessed with this idea of mermaids suck. Yeah, mermaids Um, are evil. It leans in. Yeah, it, the idea of, like, the mermaids versus krakens. That's their entire marketing spin. And literally every trailer builds off that instead of each trailer, like, building up to something. Do you know what it what bothers me is that, like, I've probably seen the trailer while in theaters at least three times now at different films, and, like, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, I know how this movie ends. <laughs> like, some right. of these children's movies, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's the villain... And, like, this is, um, maybe the mermaids are probably good guys who are just misunderstood. Like, this has, like, movie the movie written all over it. And I'm watching this and I'm like, I've seen this movie one billion times. Like, I know, I can tell you exactly what happens in this movie. Which is a shame because, like, they finally started releasing actual clips and you're like, oh, this is charming. This has a sense of personality. It does have that, like, Hotel Transylvania, like, squishiness to the animation. Mm -hmm. But, like, for some reason, I I, like, if in-house marketers decided your whole thing was going to be leaning into, 
like picking a fight with the live action Little Mermaid, you should probably fire those people. Yeah. If for no other reason, then it's like, okay, it's, you know, anti-Disney stuff's at an all-time high, but specifically targeting the Little Mermaid right now, like, you do realize, like, a big chunk of that anti-Little Mermaid sentiment is people who are mad about Ariel. And if I were, like, in charge of DreamWorks, I'd be like, I'm sorry, why are we courting those people? Why yeah. do we want those people seeing our movie? Right. Why do we want to be that studio? Yeah. Um, and then, honestly, for me, I'm just kind of obsessed with this movie now. Be- not obsessed, but, like, I'm leaning into it more just because I'm, like, a good marketing team would have hired Weedus or whatever their name is to do a parody of Teenage Dirtbag that's, like, I'm just a teenage crackin' baby. Yeah. Listen to... Coming whale sounds, baby. I have a shocking amount of this written in my head. It came to me while being dinner. Um, and then for this line about her boyfriend, it's she brings a uh, trident to school. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so highs, lows, a little bit in between for the animation world. And can I ask another question? Like, what is what is like? Is it supposed to be like? the whole teenage Dracula, teenage Frankenstein, like, why is it a teenage Kraken? Why do, why do we need to know that? Right. Is this, like, a teen wolf thing where when she yeah. leans into her powers, she's, like, the cool girl on campus and she can, like, win the basketball game and no one's <laughs> like, why are you furry, sir? Like, what the fuck is wrong with that kid? He shouldn't be playing. Exactly. He should be in a hospital right now. Exactly. Um, you know, that's the biggest fumbling of the bag with the trailers. They never explain, like, is this just a world where sea creatures, like, roam around? Like, she clearly looks like a sea creature. At least the mermaid looks right. like a person. But then she's, like, in high school? Yes. And it's, like, so people are just cool with a purple girl with tentacle hair. I'm like, not even And that's positive. fine. If this is a universe where that can happen. I'm not even positive what a kraken is. It's like a big sea monster. It's like a big squid. Okay. Yeah, that's essentially what like, I thought. Yeah, like, like they're, like, pirate folk monsters where it's like, oh, ship sunk in the middle of the ocean? Squid got it. Right, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, big-ass squid. Got, <laughs> oh, oh, another squid. Whoops. Yep. There it. goes another. Um, all right. I feel like we've done enough putzing around. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think it's time for us to enter... The Spider-Verse. And welcome back to the Sony Slate, everyone. Carter here. And Sydney. And welcome to your favorite podcast about all things Sony Animation. Yep, welcome to the Sony Desk, um, where we talk about all things Sony, um, the biggest animation company in the world, actually. Yeah, you know, who would have guessed? And it's kind of appropriate that we decided to do this episode, because in a lot of ways, the humble beginnings of Sony Pictures Animation really... um, like, its claim to fame to become the biggest animation company in the world really started with Spider-Man. And it's kind of funny mm-hmm. because their humble beginnings are kind of a disaster. Um, I did want to take a little bit of time to talk about that because, one, I like thinking of this episode as a deep dive episode. 
but also because I think the origins of Sony Pictures Animation kind of tie in with this movie really, really well thematically. Oh. In the sense that, like, so much of filmmaking is happy accidents. Mm-hmm. Like, almost arbitrary moments of everything coming together in the right place in the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of Sony Animation. So, Sony Animation started with... Um, Sony Image Picture Works. They were, like, an FX company that Sony had in-house to do, like, you know, whatever FX they needed done. Um, One of the big things they worked on was Stuart Little. Um, It's funny. They still technically exist. So, like, the Smurfs is considered Sony Pictures Animation because uh, Sony Image Picture Works did it. Mm -hmm. um, Or Image Work Pictures. I always get the name. (laughs) SPI. Um... Yes, so it's Sony Pictures Image Works. There we go. I got to get it right if I'm doing a history section. Right. Um, or like Goosebumps, they, they did the effects on that. Oh. Um, so in 2001, Sony was ready to like sell them off to the highest bidder, but then they saw like Pixar and DreamWorks just released Monsters, Inc. and Shrek kind of back-to-back, and those made gangbusters. So like a lot of different, and like a lot of different studios at the time uh, looked at, like, FX companies they had or, like, random digital arts companies and were like, you, you make animated pictures now. Make us a CGI. <laughs> make us a Toy Story. And they're like, uh... uh okay. okay. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so they formed Sony Pictures Animation, and the idea is, like, they're the creatives, they're the ones who design the characters, they're the ones who make the stories, and Sony Image Picture Works, Sony Picture Image Works, son of a gun, um, handle, like, the actual animating. Um, right. You know, and like a lot of these studios, like a lot of, with a lot of these studios who rushed to make um, CGI companies, within a year or two, like, whoever was in charge looks around and goes like, wait, what the fuck is it? Why did we make this? Right. Why, why is this here? Um, and, well, like, for example, Fox made Blue Sky, and what worked for them was they had Ice Age pretty early. So then when someone at Fox is like, what the, what the hell's a blue sky? Right. Someone could be like, oh, they, they made Ice Age. And it's like, oh, yeah, the squirrel thing. All right, yeah, we can, right. We can allocate some budget. to. We can give them some pennies. <laughs> um, Sony Pictures kind of struggled with an identity for a while. Um, and part of that is because, by all accounts, their, like, like organization was a mess. Um, mm. You know, they brought it. Apparently, there were, like, four or five big leadership rearrangements before we got to Spider-Verse. Um, their first film was in 2006, Open Season. Sort of the first big film they made. Yes. What a weird... They really are one of the embodiments of, like, if there's an animated film and you don't know who made it, well, it's usually Blue Sky. But if it's not them, it's Sony. Um, So in 2009, they made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs with um, Chris Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who you would know as the guys who made Clone High, The Lego Movie, 21 Jump Street. Like, kind of our boys. Right. Um, And if you want an example of how, like, chaotic all of the movies were, apparently they're like, well, we got fired from the project, like, a couple years into it and then got rehired because they couldn't find anyone else they liked. And apparently, like, three different times, someone would call them and be like, great news, guys, we're officially greenlighting the movie. And they're like, we've been working on it for, like, a year and a half under the assumption that that was already the case. And this (laughs) would happen three more times. Um and for the longest time, they really did try to get these two to take over. They were like, hey, do you guys just want to run the studio? And right. they were like, eh, we kind of like being free agents. Um, the, the other big important film for this discussion is 2012's Hotel Transylvania. Uh, Gary Tarantkowski gets brought in. 
Hotel Transylvania is just this pitch they have sitting for like years and years. Apparently some guy just came in and was like, Hotel for Monsters, you can make movies, you can make TV shows, you can make, like he didn't even pitch stories. He just pitched like basically a big box of toys and they're like, he's like, mm-hmm. here, you can do stuff with this. Um, Gendy's like the fifth director they bring in. And he's like, what if we just make it like a cartoon, like a cartoon cartoon? Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've talked about this, basically the difference between hand-drawn animation and CGI is Hand-drawn animation is more, like, emotionally expressive. Like, it comes down to what the person draws. So you can, right. like, change people's shape, form. You can change environments a lot. CGI is this game of almost puppeteering on a digital set. You have digital camera. You have digital lights. You design a character, put them on the set, and then, like, manipulate mm-hmm. their limbs to move as you need them to. And which makes it really hard to do really cartoony stuff. Like, you can't do rubber hose. You can't really do squash and stretch because it's, like, the program doesn't know what to do when it you're asking it to completely change a person's bone structure. So they spend like years like redesigning all of the technology to basically be like, oh, we want Drac to turn from a giant teardrop to a little ball. Uh, Okay. And like make all of that work. So his like hair doesn't fall off or his cape doesn't go up his nose or like the whole set doesn't just explode, catch on fire. Exactly. Um, Yes. So like that is like the... In terms of, like, actual animation, that's kind of, like, the bedrock of, like, how we get to Spider-Verse. Because it's that, like, oh, how do we bring hand-drawn to CGI? That's kind of where it starts. And then, like, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, it's weird how much of this stuff was in those Sony leaks. Do you remember when North Korea leaked a bunch of email, like, like a decade of emails from Sony because they were mad about that film, The Interview? Um, that sounds actually vaguely familiar to me. Seth Rogen and, um, James Franco did a movie where they go to North Korea to interview, uh, you know, pseudo dictator there, like, you know, fake Kim Mm Jong-il. And the idea is like, it's going to be an assassination and North Korea got pissed enough, like had hackers break into like the Sony files and leak a cartoonish amount of emails. And one of the big areas was discussion about Spider-Man and they're like, that was, like, right around when Amazing Spider-Man came out. And because they got alligator arms about paying Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire any more money, they're like, fresh reboot, this is how we're going to keep Spider-Man and not have to share him with um, Marvel. Marvel. So yeah. we're going to start a new franchise with Andrew Garfield. We're going to do spinoff after spinoff after spinoff. And we're going to do an animated movie. And they're like, hey, Chris, do you want Mil- uh, Chris and Phil, do you want to do an animated movie? And they immediately were like, okay, but we want to do a Spider-Verse story, and it's got to be Miles. And they're like... Yeah, sure, what, whatever. We just need this movie made. Right. So, and then, of course, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise crashes and burns, and they're like, hey, hmm. Kevin? Kevin, can we... Wanna, do you want to play... Can we play in the sandbox, too? We'll bring our toys. Can we play in the sandbox, too? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's wild that all of this is happening when they release a Mochi movie, which it's like, man, oh, God. this studio sucks. Fuck that. There was an insane bidding war for that movie, and Sony won, and... While they're doing that, they're quietly assembling this team and figuring out, like, okay, how do we make this look? How do we how do we make a superhero story look cool in CGI animation? Right. And you literally go from this wombo combo of the emoji movie to into the Spider-Verse. Mm. Um, and to underline all of how all of this feels like a happy accident, um, uh, Bob Parachetti, one of the three directors credited, because it's important to remind everyone. Chris Miller and Phil Lord didn't direct either of these movies, but they, I mean, they were, like, lead creatives. They were producers and writers, but, like, 
you know, there were other directors on the scene for this. But anyway, Bob Preschetti, he was working on a um, uh, what is it, Playmobil uh, movie. Yeah, like he was working on a different, like basically a like a different company's attempt to do the Lego movie. And it was like falling through and someone bumped into him and was like, hey, we're working on a Spider-Man movie. You want to help us work on this? Right. Okay. And I guess it's just like, I don't know. I like talking about all this because like the whole bit and something that they lean into in this movie is the idea of an accident. Like Peter Parker's existence as Spider-Man is a dumb accident. Any other day of the week, if they have that field trip a day after or a day before, right. or maybe he goes to the bathroom at that specific moment, or <laughs> maybe like he gets bumped into by Flash Thompson, he doesn't become Spider-Man. And it is kind of amazing how like random like twists of fate like, Sony seeing, you know, Monsters, Inc. and Shrek and getting horny. And, <laughs> you know, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, like, kind of being desperate for any chance to prove themselves. And Gendy Tarakowski getting jerked around by the industry for, like, ten years and just wanting to make a movie. And then Bob Preschetti being on a crappy, stuck-in-the-mud project. All that comes together to make the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And that's before, and I'm not even going to get into the whole history of Miles Morales, which is like seven different factors, including right. Donald Glover wearing a Spider-Man shirt one time, apparently. Okay. Welcome back to Water Tower Weekly, everyone. Carter here. And Sydney. And your premier animation discussion for all things Warner Brothers. <laughs> yes, we are um, huge uh, Animaniac fans, are our favorite Warner siblings, mm-hmm. and we're here to yes, talk all I, things about the big, the big, the big bros, as we call them. Yes, the 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 two brothers. Um, yes, I know you guys were really really excited for our episode on the Looney Tunes show, but first we simply have to talk about in across the Spider Verse, especially because its animation style is truly everything great about animation can be pointed to in this animation style. Um, Yes. Sydney, do you want to talk about, like, and I feel like we could literally start with the beginning of the film. I don't want to spoil too much about, because the beginning of the film almost feels like a whole film in itself, but, like, do you want to just talk about your emotional experience, like, seeing the beginning of the film? Because I remember that's one of the first things you talked about when we got out of the theater. I mean, yeah, the... The the first what is it ten ten ish minutes? It's probably a little more it, than it that. Had to be at least, it felt like it could have been ten. It could have been ninety minutes. And yeah, I would have believed you if you said it either. It's sort of yeah. The film sort of opens with something that truly feels like a feature length film, like or at the very least feels like a conclusive short film. Um, that I I said to you of like if the credits rolled right now I'd be satisfied and I would have. I would, I would have been completely satisfied with, with this uh, purchase. I, I think we literally turn to each other because then they go to the title sequence. And right. One of us goes like, that's it. Like we can go. That's the Spider-Man. Movie, Let's right? go. Yeah. It's a little weird. It was that short, but I believe that took five years to make that. Looked very exactly. Um, <laughs> this, the, what this film opens with, you know, design wise, absolutely shocks me in every way. I mean, I remember feeling absolutely like I, I remember feeling this way when I saw Into the Spider Verse, like the first one in theaters, feeling like I feel like I am watching a comic book come to life. Not just 
in the appearance of the animation, not in just the colors or like the font used, but in in pacing and in energy and essence, um, in the shots that they um got for some of these action sequences. And even not even just the action sequence, the shots of like the more domestic conversational um like pedestrian you know scenes have such like a a, a comic booky framing to them um and but this you know but when you're introduced to this art style like this somehow exceeds all of that because i feel like i'm viewing like i feel like this is like a moving modern art piece like this yeah. this completely i don't even i'm not even sure the right words what the right words are to describe how the visual language of this film sort of like transcends dialogue and um is just like a beautiful accent um to yes. what is actually going on in the story yeah, it's and that's something I wanted to talk about because, like, now with this current wave of CGI animated films, there's a lot of discussion about when, like, Puss in Boots comes out or Tim and T shows its first trailer or, like, Nimona shows something. People refer to it as the Spider-Verse style. Yeah. And I almost feel like that does a disservice not only to all of those other studios coming up with all this cool stuff, but it also does a disservice to Across the Spider-Verse, which truly feel like... I, I still love Into the Spider-Verse. I watch some clips to make sure it was still as good as I remember. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, this movie just, like, it feels like it's bullying the original in terms of, like, it is right. so far evolved. It really, like, I described Into the There's Spider-Verse There's a sophistication as, about this. Right? It's, it literally is like the arts, they matured with the art yeah. style. Like it's like a like a like it's like a twenty seven kid who made a really really great student film and then like grew up and was able to take all of that energy and apply it to something more like worldly and experienced. It, it like mm-hmm. I would it, it feels like I described Into the Spider Verse as like oh it's like seeing Steamboat Willie for the first time and being like hold up the mouse can whistle now right yeah, zooks <laughs> whereas this it's like oh like a couple years later being like. Oh my God, look at this Snow White. Look at all this. Right. Um, Which I think is very appropriate for a number of reasons. Oh my God, there's so many. I'm realizing how many directions I want to go with this discussion. But the big thing is I want to get a better label for this style. I almost like, I was trying to brainstorm. And the only one I keep coming up with is animation pop art or animated pop art. I was going to call it like animated modern art. Yeah, it, it, because that's what it is. Like, it transcends hand-drawn. It transcends CGI. It just feels like art. Yeah. Like, it is literally moving. That happens Nothing to have, like... every frame of painting more. It, it's art pieces that happen to have, like, a narrative going on. Dur- yeah, like, at the same that time. That to move. Right. Yeah, and, like, especially in that beginning. That so, like, changes, like... Because, you know, I felt like I knew the rules. You know, you see the first one, you feel like you know the rules. And then almost immediately it catches you off guard with these simultaneously right. abstract and, like, expressionist moments where, like, That's sound the best word is personified for with image. Right. Um, like, a lot of the beginning has Gwen Stacy talking to people and the emotional state of the situation causes the environments to literally to, like, change dissolve color. almost, yeah, and to just be expressed in color. Like, the room disappears. 
Yeah, like, there's no, there's less of a sense of space, and yet, like, the space makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and even during the action scene that follows it, there's incredible, like, even though everything is in motion, and we're constantly changing angles, and, like, like the camera is just flying around to try to keep up with everything, you still feel like, no, this makes 100% emotional sense in terms of, like, how they are moving about the space and how they are fighting in the space. Mm. And, yeah, it like, it's reminiscent of, like, the very earliest Disney films. Like, they right. cited Cinderella as an inspiration where oh. you would have sequences, like, where the stepsisters are tearing her mother's dress apart. And, like, oh, the that. backgrounds just disappear, and it's just color. Right. It's just color that emphasizes the emotional devastation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's what I love about this specific franchise in general, especially this movie. It combines literally all of the best parts of hand-drawn, but, mm-hmm. like, all of the best parts of CGI. Because as we talked about, CGI does have benefits. Like, we talked about this with Encanto, how, like, there is an advantage to having this, like, digital camera in the space. Right. So, like, if you want to get these sweeping shots or if you want to swing the camera around really fast or if you want to, like, do these crazy tracking shots through a crowded space. Whereas, like, in the 90s, it would be like, all right, can anyone draw this shot? We want a shot of the, like a top like a camera like basically on a drone rotating around never mind we don't know what drones are yet but like rotating right. around bell and beast as they're dancing and if you don't have a james baxter in the room who's like i got it bro, got it. don't even worry as he like drags a cigarette and does a kickflip right like, you just can't do that <laughs> whereas this there's like tech behind it so you're like combining these like expressionist like dream like bl- like reality fades in favor of emotion right with like oh, yeah, we have a very cinematic language we can, like, a very live-action cinematic language we use that's enhanced because, like, we decide what's reality, basically. Exactly. Um, I don't know if this counts as spoilery. It probably doesn't, but to say, I mean, you just got done talking about the balance between CGI and hand-drawn, but it even goes beyond that in terms of being, like, a quote-unquote mixed-media um, project in the most surprising of ways and I'll just like leave that there without getting too spoilery right it understands the idea it understands the idea of a couple like some of our best characters some of like the main characters have like artist backgrounds or have interest in the arts and leaning into that pays off in gangbusters right. in terms of like allowing artistry and art to um, kind of, like, fill out the role. I mean, honestly, one thing I think we can talk about is, as they've advertised, the main villain is Spot. And, like, so much of, like, the animation that comes around him has this almost, like, squiggly, angry energy to it. And it works because you're like, right, Miles is 15 now. He's a teenage artist. So, yeah, it tracks that his, like, villain would be this, like... A doodle... A doodle bob? Yeah. Kind of a doodle bob. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. (laughs) Doodle bob if if SpongeBob went through a violent emo face. Exactly. You know... Yes, that's a perfect way of putting it. It's for, like, I can't wait to get more into Spot because... Or the Spot, rather, because I love the design of this villain it's probably my favorite villain that i've ever seen yes. but um because it, it is just so like for a black and white figure that does look like a doodle something is so eerie and dark and like 
creepy up about... Motherfucker don't have a face. Not just, yeah, that he doesn't have a face, but, and that his voice is, seems, um, so normal. Not like, attached. there's right. something, <laughs> right? He's not doing, like, a villain voice. He truly just sort of sounds like an average man, and that's even more eerie. Right. And, like, the spine general really made me appreciate just, like, how diverse... Because, like, the first Spider-Verse, they set it in one universe because that just lets everything stay simple. And we have, like, you know, it lets us just focus on, all right, let's make it look like a comic book. Let's just mm-hmm. do very comic booky. And even the three, like, sort of old Spider-Man we get in terms of the whack... Because, you know, we have Peter, we have Gwen, and we have Miles as, like, the normal universes. And then we have Porker... Um, uh, noir and Penny as like the fun alternate universes. Right. But at the same time, all three of them are like based cleanly enough in comic books. You're like, well, it's not getting too crazy. Right. Whereas this, like the entire genre, the entire tone, the entire era changes so dramatically in certain different sections because we're jumping through, you know, a lot of different universes as it, you know, like, you know, there's, like, the trailers have shown a lot of Mumbadden. And honestly, that one is tame compared to some of the other stuff we see. Right. Like, what we see of Gwen's world and what we see of, like, a couple other worlds we jump through throughout the film. Right. And, like, you realize it's not just one visual language they have to pioneer. They have to pioneer, like, 50, at least 15 or 20. Because exactly. there's so much different stuff going on. And so much of it is literally for, like, a couple shots Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, the more we talk about, like, the, yeah, you're right, the right word is pioneering for, for their design choices, the more I realize that, like, no, the only way any of this is possible, if it is, is if it is a story about Spider-Man. I mean, it really, I mean, one, this makes me, again, why the fuck are we doing any of this in live action? Why is that right. what we to? Right. Like, as much as I'm a guy who's like, man, I would love to see a live-action Mario movie, I'm like, oh, right, this is why you do animation, because right. animation lets you be the most vibrant, incredible thing ever. But it's like, yeah, it, it, it feels... Spider-Man feels like the perfect avenue for this in terms of just being... Free, like, yeah. Yeah, just free. And that's, like, a big thing, and like we'll talk about it. That's kind of one of the bigger themes of the movie, that freedom, that, like... Mm. And, it's taking the mantra of anyone can wear the mask from the first one and being like, no, we meant that very literally. Right. <laughs> um, and even just like, even just going back to the comic booky thing, I'm really impressed how they plus all the comic book stuff. Like there's so many mm. like little cutaways or moments where like characters will pop in even without like the frame cut off and their heads will just pop up on the sides of a frame. Yeah. Or like, how they use more and more of, like, the little, like, comic square pop-in, like, the turn to issue, or get issue number right. three to know this story, kiddos. Yeah, they add footnotes like, to my, Yeah, like, one of my favorite little moments is someone uses a term called hammer space, and that's, like, oh. a term they invented, and then they have a little pop-up that explains hammer space. The right, blah, blah, here. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, that's really cute. Right. Or when we get to the much vaunted, um, like, spider society scene where you're, like, walking through the halls, the fact that literally, or there's two great moments. One where you're just seeing literally everyone's name and their earth to, like, designate mm-hmm. them. But also, like, there's a bit where someone makes a quip about Spot and uh, Jess Drew is like, okay, okay, anyone else got jokes? And everyone's individual quip ends up <laughs> on the screen. And I'm like, yeah, comics, right. bingo, correct. Oh my gosh. 
and like we kind of talked around it, but the action in this movie is actually insane. It, like it it's is. hard to overstate how gorgeous all of the fight scenes are. Mm-hmm. They feel scary. One, yes. They're like, and I think that's one of the advantages. Like, again, I talked about Gendy Tarakovsky, but like one of the things that Chris Miller and Phil Lord and him all kind of get is like using animation and action in so many different tones. A lot of the action is like very scary and tense and there's like a sense of danger. A lot right. of it can be very funny. Like the first time Miles runs into the spot and there are just so many great little visual gags as Miles is trying to figure out how the hell he's supposed to fight this guy. Right. Or just like even like the action of Miles car- trying to carry two cakes up an el- like oh, a staircase. Right. You're like, again, this is why animation is a better form for this because you can just, it, it it's like, oh yeah, literally any crazy thing we can think of is going, and it's going to look amazing. You don't have to worry about CGI gloop because it's all CGI. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome back to Nick News, everyone. Carter here. <laughs> and Sydney. I don't know why you laugh every time I introduce the show. Like, we've all... It like, I say the show every me, time. It just tickles me to think about Nickelodeon. That's just how much of a Nickelodeon fan I am. That every time I hear the name, I just have a little tee-hee-hee about it. That's just my energy. A- Amen to that, sister. Amen. Um, yeah. So, like we said... Um, you know, uh, we are putting a brief pause on Rocco's Modern Life Month because this right. movie was simply too damn good to not talk about. Exactly. And much like Rocco's Modern Life, this gets carried by character. Um, like, because again, we can talk about animation. We can talk about like how emotionally resonant and like emotionally moving all of the different, you know, all of the different animated sequences are and how backgrounds move and like how colors change. But like, this isn't a painting. It is a movie. So, like, right. if the characters don't work, like, if the voice acting then, sucks, yeah. none of this works. Right, exactly. Is there any point you wanted to start with in terms of, like, who, well, like, character moments or character things that stood out to you? Well, I guess the best place to start is just to, like, revisit our old friends, which would be Gwen and Miles. Oh, yeah. I... I really do appreciate this movie makes, like, you know, the first film did a great job of serving all the characters, even, like, the three quote-unquote fun ones. But Mm -hmm. this one in particular does a really good job of, I would almost argue Gwen and Miles are dual leads in a lot of ways. They both get so much, like, they both have such strong emotional spines that are simultaneously very different. Right. But, like, very similar. Like, Like, meeting each other was very much this, like, nexus moment for both of them or right. like fixed point or whatever term all of the doctor strange stuff uses yeah and like how they have like grown from that moment uh, has changed both of them for better and for worse i would agree yeah um i i think this film has some really solidifying um moments that really like cement them as, in their relationship as friends um that clearly goes sort of beyond friendship in a really, in a way only like a fellow Spider-Man would understand, I guess. Right? Like, yeah. And that's like, I don't know. That's like what's emotionally, like some of my friends have complained about like, 
oh, Miles is such a teenager. And it's like, no, it's more than he's a teenager. He's a superhero in a world where he's largely the only superhero. Right. And like, you know, we don't see the Avengers. We don't see anyone else. Right, exactly. Like, it, like I do think, like, it leans into the idea of like, oh yeah, being Spider-Man is hard. Like, independent, like, like independent of any other Spider-Man context, it's hard being Spider-Man. You have to right. juggle a lot. You have to juggle friends, family. You have to keep you a secret, a secret. Identity. You have to save yeah. all these people. You know, you're probably going to have one horrifically traumatic thing happen to you every five years that sets <laughs> like, the course of your behavior for the next five years. And all of that in the context of... And then finding out, like, oh, there are people who can understand, but you can't see them because that will mess... Because they'll die exactly. if they stay too long. Right. And, like, I don't know. It's always so interesting dealing with Spider-Gwen as a character because, like... For the longest time, Gwen Stacy was, like, the one character you were not allowed to touch. Like, the idea was, mm. in the comic book world, where literally anyone can come back from the dead at any given time, like, no one stays dead. Gwen Stacy was the one hard and fast, we do not change this. This is a core memory for Spider-Man. Like, to change it would be horribly disrespectful. Never mind that, like, all of that was done just as, like, the discussion about, like, before the discussion about fridging and, like, it's oh. kind of gross to kill off a female character to create man pain. Exactly. Um, <laughs> like, once Miles kind of opened, like, the floodgate for, like, different Spider-Man variants and Dan Slott ran the Spider-Verse line and, like, kind of the premier character was, like, Spider-Gwen. What if Gwen Stacy was the one who got bit and then Peter Parker died shortly after? And... Like, it was kind of a big deal where it's like, oh, wow, we really are undoing this. We really are opening up a new avenue for this character. But it's kind of hard because, like, Gwen Stacy, for so long, has been synonymous with, like, the death of a loved one, has been, right. like, synonymous with tragic fall, that it's, like, her interaction with any other Spider-Man is, like, inherently interesting. Because oh, yeah. that history just weighs over its head. If anything, this mo show, movie does an incredible job of, like, using history to its advantage. Like, literally, Gwen says something like, you know, in so many realities, Spider-Man falls for Gwen Stacy, and it doesn't end well. Right. And you're like, yeah, that's all, like, literally, everything you need to know about their emotional arc and the struggles they go through is in that one line, where it's like, oh, being Spider-Man is inherently tragic, and Gwen Stacy tends to be a focal point of that tragedy. Right. And yet both of them are teenagers who just want friends. Yeah. You know, I found really interesting um, the very gentle evolution of Miles' um, parents. Um, oh, yes. In this film. Which, like, there's sort of like a, a comfortable adjustment that has, like, happened with them. But it kind of made me confused at some points where I was like, oh, do they know? Do do they know? There's a little bit of ambiguity right. there, like, in the beginning. Um, but honestly, I think, I, f I feel like that ambiguity is really just M Miles growing and, and perhaps his parents giving him a little longer leash than mm -hmm. before when they first sent him away to boarding school. Right. It, like, it does feel like... And it's something I want to talk about more and more as we go on. But this film is really good at saying a lot of things without saying them. And it does feel like there was this emotional breakthrough with all of them. And we are getting at the tail end where that's being used up. And, like, the idea of him going to college is starting to change that dynamic. Right. 
Yeah, I love, um, I don't know, I just really love, because for me, like, I would argue the first Spider Into the Spider-Verse was one of the best brother movies of all time. Like, oh, yeah. the stuff with Miles, or with um, Jeff and the Prowler, um, Aaron, Aaron, is so heartbreakingly good. And oh, there was, yeah. like, a lot that got left on the cutting room floor, particularly a scene where they actually talk to each other, like, through a door. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad they didn't have that because I like that they never get to see each other during this entire ordeal. Right. Like, two scenes that even thinking about get me choked up are the scene where uh, Miles' dad finds Aaron's body and mm-hmm. just has this weak little, like, Aaron? Mm-hmm. And, like, is realizing he's never going to make peace with his brother. Like, that's right. it. Like, their relationship is over. Yeah. And the bit that comes right before the leap of faith where... Um, Miles' dad is talking to him through the door and he's like, Miles, we need to talk. And he takes off his police cap, you know, like, like a police officer is like supposed to do. do when, yeah. Yeah. When, like Delivering they do, but this is a dad talking to his kid. Right. And you yeah. can tell like he's fighting between those two different forces in him. Right. Cause then he just goes, something happened. And you're just mm-hmm. like, and I love that this movie is like, still lets Miles' dad be a character. Like he's still right. like, you know, he's grown from that experience and, like, he still gets to be a part of the story. But it is kind of more of a story between Miles and his mom this time, which I think yeah. is interesting. Like, I, I like appreciate. that the two kind of... Yeah, like, I like that we have these two emotional arcs where, like, Gwen's, like, Gwen's relationship with her father becomes a part of the story. Like, her relationship with her dad is, like, factored into all of this. And Miles' relationship with his mom is factored into all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, where she gets to be the one who kind of, like has her moment with her son as we're leading into, like, all of this incredible Spider-Manning. Right. Yeah, and, like, I like that this film is so much about, like, there's so much discord in this film. And you just want it to work out because the chemistry between Miles and Gwen is so fucking good. Right. Like, the One of the few scenes they get where, like, there's no, like, immediate danger is just yeah. them swinging through the city together to this really good bop. Right. And, like, showing off what they've learned how to do as Spider-Man. And not only right. is it just one of the best visual sequences, where, again, you're like, God, why, doesn't the, why don't the Spider-Man games look like this? Why don't the Spider-Man live-action movies look like this? Right. But also just like, oh, yeah, these two get each other so much, and yeah. it's so sweet. It's also refreshing um, just to have a, a uber-low-stakes moment where um, right. you can actually have fun as Spider-Man, like, as a hero. Right. And, yeah, that's, like, I do think that's something that this series in general has done a really good job of, of being, like, you know, not everything is end-of-the-world chaos. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the problems with Tom Holland's Spider-Man for me is just, like, because he gets thrown into Phase 3 where things, like, he literally shows up and it's, like, our two dads are fighting, everyone's getting beat up, Mm -hmm. Rhodey's, War Machine's paralyzed. Um, Right. Like, we're already in, like, oh, the Avengers are falling apart mode. Like, he never gets to just have a nice chill moment where, like, right. there aren't Avengers-level threats waiting for him. Right, or it's, like the aftermath like, of an apocalypse. It, exactly. Whereas this, it's like, okay, we solved the Collider thing. Most of the big problems are solved. There's a spider society to deal with any other big threats. Let's just chill for a minute. Yeah, let's just like go for a, a swing. Yeah, it's one like and, and it's kind of one of the big best advantages of having the convention of hi my name is so and so because it lets you just like fill in the gaps and let, have all of these like fun little moments where you're like oh yeah the 9 to 5 of being Spider-Man can be fun yeah 
Um, are there any other characters you want to talk about? Because we do get a couple alternative Spider-Mans in this let's, world. Let's let's dive into some of them. Um, should we go uh, to Mumbatan first? Of course. Maybe my new favorite Spider-Man. Honestly, um, yeah. Like, I don't know. There is something charming, especially because, like... It is charming to get, like, a version of a young Peter with the slate clean. Like, because again, like, all of the versions of Spider-Man we have now have, like, a lot of established lore and a lot of established stuff. And even Miles has been doing it for, like, a year. Right. Like, so it's nice to kind of get, like, a fresh-faced kid who hasn't had to go through anything particularly traumatic yet. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about um, the Spider-Man that is in some version of of India that is sort of across between Mumbai and Manhattan I am curious like again it's nice that they don't like stop and explain every tree branch but at the same time I'm like wait so what happened to the original like did America exist like why did they call it Mumbai Mumbai existed way before New York did yeah like (laughs) figure it um, out both have a lot of traffic right yeah both, both are very congested and have bad air quality um but this is probably one of my favorite sequences of the film um being introduced to the spider-man um you know one thing i mentioned to you um was like there's just like such great attention to detail with with each of the different spider folk i guess we call them um Mm -hmm. and so it, it carries into like everything that they do and to me that was so clear in um that that was like most clear to me with this version of spider-man i was explaining to you that like back when i was in college i went to college for dance um so i had to take a lot of like world dance history dance classes and like ethnic and cultural dances and like watching... it's weird i haven't asked you more about your classes about my college life yeah (laughs) I don't know um but yeah that was one of them so I know a lot about international dance forms but um I recognize so much of traditional Indian dance movement quality uh in the physicality of the spider-man like in the way that he like moves and and uses his web and swings and fights and things like that and I was so impressed that they didn't just sort of like animate him in the same exact way as like I mean, we, we sort of know that that Gwen kind of is a ballerina. Has a ballet and, yeah, yeah, and sort of moves like that. But essentially, is they all kind of look like gymnasts. <laughs> um, yeah. That just comes with the territory of being a spidered man. Right, exactly. That you could compete in the Olympics if you really wanted to. Um, but um, I just appreciated that sort of cultural specificity. Um in the very small details about all of these spider people, <laughs> specifically about this one. Yeah. Yeah. And Spider-Man India, what's cool about him is, and this is what I was talking about with like having all of this backstory and lore in your head, but not feeling the need to explain all of it. Cause like either Chris or Phil talked about like, Oh, the idea with him is he actually got his powers from magic. Like his powers are magic based. He didn't get bit by a spider. Some god anointed him those abilities. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And it kind of makes sense when you watch him because you're like, yeah, he has this like graceful, effortless movement. He doesn't yeah. have web shooters. He has this like ricochet yo-yo, almost yo-yo bracelet esque. Right. Move. 
and even just like how chill he is it's like yeah he's oh, also yeah, well adjusted he didn't to go through... <laughs> yeah it's like he didn't get bit by something and then get mutated he just right. like woke up like um, yeah he spoke to like, a god and, and he agreed essentially to this arrangement yeah and like you're like oh they don't have to say that but when you hear it you're like oh that tracks in every little bit of his animation yeah and that's another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of animation like this is some of the best character animation I've ever seen mm. in terms of like not ju- like both performance in terms of like some of the stuff with Miles's mom and his dad and just how they're animated both for comedy and for emotion like particularly any moment where Miles's mom is pissed and Jeff is just like oh my god mm-hmm. um just all of the little animation like it's so funny that that meme became that meme of miles holding up his hands and then running for his life as miguel's coming after him it's so (laughs) funny that that's like a jokey meme now because all of the animation in that sequence the whole sequence and obviously because that's a huge moment we're not going to spoil it here but like all of the animation that segment from every character is so like intense and emotionally riveting you're like you're like yeah this is cinema right here this is like this is it baby like this like this should in a just world they would all be nominated for best direction because this is some of the best direction i've ever seen in a scene but yeah and like that like spider-man india is a great example like great character animation because he does have this sort of he has like this sort of like like um what's the word i'm looking for like like robin hood like scamp energy of like oh everything's so easy i glide through the air even during, like, yeah, he has his hair out and it's always, like, perfectly flopped on his Flop. head. Yeah. Um, all right, who else do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about Hobie a little bit? When don't I want to talk about Hobie? I will, I'll ask you after this who's your favorite, but it's hard not to root for Hobie. It's hard not to. He's one of those, I'm not going to lie, I had to, like, warm up to him, but then I was, like, right. sold. I, I assume that most people have to warm up to him, like, in real life, I assume. Right. That not everybody... That's kind of his bit. Yeah, that, that, that's the point, that you, like, learn to, like, love him, and then you're just in love with him. Yeah, and then he does something to help you out, and you're like, oh, he's a real one. This he's guy, the... like, actually talks the, walks the walk. Right. He's He's the bad boy that your parents, like, warn you about, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, I don't, like, oh, my God, there's so much we can talk about him. I don't want to spoil too much because a lot of his stuff is very, like, plot-heavy. But I yeah. do love, um, like, one, I do love that he is the exact perfect sort of rival to Miles in mm-hmm. terms of, like, oh, you know, Miles is a prep school kid. He, right. You know, his dad's a cop. Oh, um, yeah. You know. And then this Gwen has been hanging out with this guy with crazy hair who's in a rock band right. who's literally changing color all the time because he does not believe in consistency. Again, animation <laughs> yes. dictated by character. Right. And also, like, yeah, he he would be caught dead. If his parent his dad was a cop, he would just lie and say his dad didn't exist. Right, exactly. <laughs> he was adopted. Yep. <laughs> um and of course we gotta talk about um Honestly, one of my favorite comic to movie glow-ups is um, uh, Miguel. Because, like, Miguel O'Hara's never really interested me as a character. Mm-hmm. And recontextualizing him kind of as the villain of the piece or one of the villains of the piece mm-hmm. is incredible. It is so insane. Like, one, like, they basically take all the same stuff from the Miguel of the comics. The idea is he's super future, he's from the future, he's not actually a Peter, 
he knows of Peter Parker, and he's genetically altered himself to be a Spider-Man. Um, like, all the same stuff. He even, even in the comics, he has a little, like, female digital sidekick. Um, mm. And just do such a better job of it. And I don't even know where to begin, but I'll say, without spoiling too much about his, like, motivations and why he's doing the things he does, he's a great example of, like, doing an empathetic but not sympathetic villain. Because, right. like, you understand literally everything he's doing, and you're like, well, there's a reasonable, like, that's a justifiable yeah. reason to want to do this. But at the same time, you're like, well, no, I don't agree with it, though. Right. Like, there's exactly. probably another way. I also just love, like, again, it's what you were talking about. Like, it's crazy how much horror they get out of these characters. Yeah. Like, him and Spot, like, so much of that chase sequence, I'm like, I don't care about all these other Spider-Man chasing after Miles. I just want, like, we gotta get the fuck away from that one guy, because he's right. huge. He's big. Yeah. He runs on all fours half the time. He has claws. <laughs> like, he's built, like, he, his build is insane. Again, that's another fun thing with animation. You're like, yeah, you can have a guy just look like that. Right. And nobody else looks like that. Just a man who is a triangle. A scary fucking triangle. <laughs> chasing after you. That's how I've always felt about Kingpin. I'm like, ew, what is he? Yeah, it's like, yeah, especially animated is that a Kingpin, tumor? Who is actual refrigerator. Yeah. Are you... How do you breathe? Right. Do you have it? Can you breathe through your nose? But oh yeah, God. like, to the point when Miguel, like, gets out the wingsuit, you're like, fuck, man, God, right. we gotta get, we're never gonna get away from this guy. <laughs> um, um, and I also love, like, a little detail I notice on Twitter is, like, Miles tries to butter him up a little bit by speaking Spanish, and, like, it's established earlier in the film that he's not doing great in his Spanish classes, and you, <laughs> Someone pointed out, like, his Spanish is really bad here. Like, he's talking to a native speaker. And it's funny because they're both, like, um, you know, they're both, like, they both have, like, mixed race origins right. because Miles is black and Latino and Miguel is Latino and Irish. And, like, he's trying to appeal to him on this level and he's just crapping the bed in terms right. of pronunciation. And Miguel is just like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, like, another reason to be angry about this. Right. <laughs> um... I also love, and, like, another glow-up is Jess Drew. Like, I've never been a fan of Spider-Woman as a character. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, well, it's so funny because she came out around the same time as She-Hulk as, like, oh, we sold the rights to these characters. If they make a female version, we'll lose. We won't have yeah. access to that. So let's so do it let's now do it so first. they can't do it. Yeah. And where She-Hulk pretty quickly found a personality and a unique gimmick, mm-hmm. Spider-Woman for me has always been, like, Yep, hmm. that's her um, and then they're like, what if we made her pregnant? I'm like, ew. Do you have to? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, is that the best story you can think of for a female character? You know, I'm not going to lie. Maybe it's just me, but the pregnancy thing was actually really distracting. The and only thing like, I liked about it is it explains why she's on a motorcycle. Because I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want to swing around if I had a baby, too. But that's the part that was... I also wouldn't want to be on a motorcycle. That's, that's the part that's better. distracting to me, is when I have to think about, like... On, on, for the record, I have never been pregnant, but like, they're not so like when you get pregnant, your doctor's like, no more horseback riding, don't do anything like that. Like yeah, they tell you that, like, and she gets hurt, and I'm like, this is not good. She gets beat up more than I was expecting. I thought they were going to take the you know the safe yeah. way out and be like, no, she knows how to like get out of the Protect way, but no, herself. she gets beat up a little no, bit. No, she and gets you're slammed like, Whoa, around, and I'm easy. like, Whoa, like this is dangerous. Like that's the for only her. part that got me. And so I found myself kind of distracted by that element that I could not stop thinking about of, like, oh, I really wish she wasn't pregnant right now. Yeah, it, it's interesting it's because there's, like, a lot of internet discourse about this, but, like, I'm also, like, it was just 
dumb that Spider-Woman in the comics was made pregnant in the first place. So yeah. it's like, are we compounding a bad decision? I don't know. Yeah, did that have a... I mean, I'm unfamiliar with the comics, but, like, did that have an impact on her story? Did, was it for any reason? <sighs> or was it just like, yeah, look at women. I, honestly, my memory is so fuzzy about that whole mm, run. I just remember the one thing being, like... I remember one time, like, aliens are holding a place hostage, and to get out of it, she goes, like, oh, fuck, fuck, the baby's coming, and one of them's like, uh, uh, what do we do? And she uses that to get the upper hand, and that's literally all I remember. Oh. Um, nice. But, the old yeah, I like coming. her as a... Right. I like her as a... She's a great foil for Miguel, and unfortunately yeah. she doesn't get a lot to do other than be a foil for Miguel. Right. But also you're like, yeah, I see why you're siding with him on all of this. Mm-hmm. Which kind of is, like, one of the big talking points that we'll talk about with spoilers in terms of, like, who's on Team Miguel and who's on Team Miles in terms right. of, like, worldview. Right, right, exactly, we will. Um, oh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little more about the spot. Oh, yes. I, like, am such a fangirl of the spot. I don't know why. Um, it's just, it's all in the design for me. Like, that's just the kind of, like, surrealist, creepy pasta stuff that I yes. like. Like, that's what it is. It's creepy pasta. Yeah, he's the embodiment of, like, a certain era of, like, early comics, like, Tales to Astonish stuff of, like, yeah. can you imagine this eldritch horror walking among us? Or like right. mild mannered mild mannered man gets turned into a horrific creature who can see everything but has yeah. no connections. Um, but it's, that sort it just, of thing. It gets me like these shots of him they they have the nerve to like to film him as if he does have a face, you know? Like they do these close ups right. of him talking and I'm like we're just looking and into it's a void. Just, it's literally like Slender Man's face or a face with a black dot on it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, they close they close up on just like a black circle on like a white head while he's speaking and it's like, "Oh my god." Like they just force you to like stare into the void into this into this like what a singularity? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, well that's I also love anytime someone gets whipped through, every now and then we'll see like a tunnel vision as they're going through it and they're just like, "What the Ooh. fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like, "Yeah, like and I would say it's one of the things I love when movies get the D-listers in. Like, again, because it's like, look, we've already seen Green Goblin. We've already seen, like, Rhino, Electro, another Mm -hmm. Green Goblin, uh, Venom, another Venom, a Carnage, a Sandman. Like, we've seen all the, like, we've seen most of, like, the big guys who people really, really want to see. Like, why not, like, dig through the catalog and be like, what cool things can we do with this power set? Um, Yeah. I will credit um, Avi Arad, um, who, um, he is, like, a big producer at Sony. Um, He, um, like, he was, like, there when they first started all of these movies. But he was, like, big with, like, the early Marvel movies. He was, like, a big supervisor of, like, X-Men Blade, um, like, the early Fantastic Fours, Mm -hmm. like... He, but also he was big on like let's reboot Spider-Man, new Spider-Man, big Spider-Man universe. He was big right. on pushing Venom because he like you know he was like you know making you know cutting his teeth in that era where Venom was like the coolest character on the planet because mm-hmm. the '90s man. Um, right. And apparently it was his idea. Like he was like, hey, I think you guys should use Spot, and they're like, what? 
why? And he's like, well, because he can, like, teleport through dimensions. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. And they realize, like, oh, there's way more to these powers than we thought. Right. Um, and, yeah, I love Spot because, like, again, he's the, like, he's the comedic, comedic villain to the more straight-faced villain of yeah. Miguel. But, like, again, it's incredible how, like, storytelling through animation how, like, he just gets progressively more monstrous as the movie goes on. Yeah, where, I feel like his shape becomes less man-shaped, like... It's sort more beast-shaped. To more be yeah. Like, uh, even his proportions of his torso, like, he sort of has, like, this weird, sh- like, posture, eventually, where, like, mm-hmm. he starts out looking more like a human, and then just, like, he becomes, like, an abstract human. <laughs> the idea yeah, of a, of a man... Sh- yeah. Yeah, there's one shot that sticks with me that I think about a weird amount for an individual shot, but it's like Spot is fighting a couple different Spider-Man for reasons we won't get into here. But like he's approaching Miles who's on the ground and like his posture has gone completely from human to hunched over. He looks taller. He looks like he yeah. literally looks like some kind of Slenderman-esque beast. Yeah. And a couple other Spider-Man dive behind him ready to fight and he whips around without missing a beat and like whips a portal at them with a backhand and right. like they I think they cut it feels like they cut out like half the frames he moves so quickly and you're just right. like oh this is oh they're fucked now they might yeah. like actually lose this fight right um like he he he's in a new era right now he's mm-hmm. in his villain era or serious villain era right and welcome back to Ard Maniacs uh, I'm Carter and I'm Sydney. Uh, everyone's favorite stop-motion discussion podcast, all centered around Ardman Animation. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> they do chicken run. And, like, Oh, yeah, that's us. Yeah, that's us. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's our podcast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as we continue on our discussion... Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about, like, some of the themes and some more just broad general thoughts we have before we get into spoiler chat. Yeah, definitely. You know, this is a conversation that I saw on Twitter, um, not that long ago that really made me think really hard about, it's, it's sort of twofold, um, but it's not just about Across the Spider-Verse, it's sort of about the nature of the Spider-Man story in general, and it Mm. is sort of about the prevalence of the presence of the police and also mm-hmm. the media. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, I think up until this film in in previous Spider-Man iterations, it's maybe always been Spider-Man versus the media, right? Like that's yeah. that's a little more obvious. Um Like that's one of his big thematic things. Exactly. Yeah. But I can't help but sort of, like, marry that in conjunction with, you know, in this film more so than even Into the Spider-Verse, um, is, like, the presence of, the, the up-close-and-personal presence of the police. Not just, not just a superhero butting heads with the, like, infrastructure of the city, but, like, mm-hmm. a person-to-person conflict of... Of a, of a figure of authority versus someone trying their darndest to do the right thing with impossible subhuman superpowers. Yeah, it's 
that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about too, weirdly enough. Um, yeah, because it's both like a literal level of cops versus spiders, but also like the macro level of Miguel being this like authority figure who is like trying to set the rules as it were. And yeah, I do think like it is an incredibly astute, like incredible connection. It's basically the reverse of Batman V Superman leaning into the idea that both their parents are named Martha where it's like, no, this is the genius version, <laughs> leaning into the idea that they're both... I've talked about this with you before. This is the complete reverse good version of that, where it's like noticing that both Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales have cop parents mm-hmm. and like their relationship with that and what that right. means for both of them. This, Well, one, the movie is very interesting because it straddles an insane line of being like pro and anti-cop. I don't know if At you the feel same the same time. way. Yeah. Or like empathetic toward individual cops but antagonistic toward the system as a whole yeah that's kind of a better way to look at it like and it's there is this weird dichotomy between Gwen's relationship with her father and Miles relationship with his father where in this film Miles is able to like cross the threshold into like or I should say Spider-Man is able to cross the threshold into like some chumminess with (laughs) Mm. with with Jeff um, and Gwen is still like with for her the stakes are extremely high as high as they can yes. be like her like Captain Stacy is actively pursuing in, Spider-Man yeah wants to give her like a life sentence yeah and like and again it's so interesting like it's so interesting because so much of this movie is also about like both of them are reaching their part in the Spider-Man arc where they don't know how much they want to keep the secret identity up Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, all right, what, is, what am I doing here? And, like, understanding the very different relationships they both have with, like, authority and police, you're like, oh, I understand why both of them are acting the, the way they're acting. Yeah. And, like, yeah, and how it's kind of antithetical to Spider-Man because as Spider-Punk, like, points out, like, you know, the whole point of Spider-Man is you're free. You're not bound by anything. You, you're barely bound by gravity. Like, right. you fly through the air like it's nothing. And some of us have glider wings, so we can fly right. even more. Like, you know, why be bound to any authority? Right. And yet, at the same time, Gwen has a comment at some point where it's, like, talking to her dad, like, I know you put on the badge because if you don't, someone much worse will. And mm-hmm. it's like, man, it's insane that they have their cake and eat it, too, where, in terms of, like, the sort of authority cop discussion on that front. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, it, yeah it, uh, this is the first film where it's it's really highlighted and underlined. Mm-hmm. And it's it just feels so... like And so much of what I love about this movie, it feels like a culmination of Spider-Man in a lot of ways. And it's like, yeah, that's what a culmination of everything does. It picks up on every theme, every idea, every little avenue that you can go with these characters and says, let's talk about this. Right. What does this mean? Um, even... Uh, even um, we see Indian, the Indian Spider-Man sort of, like, grappling with this, like, police figure. Yes. But, again, because he's the happy-go-lucky one, it's more of, like, a silly rom-com energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) the joke ends up being that this man, you know, the cop has, like, this very stern parental energy. Right. And, like, can't express emotions very well. Right. (laughs) Um... Yeah, and, like, literally, it's underlined almost every Spider-Man we meet has some kind of relationship with an authority figure. Even Spider-Punk, there is the comment that some people have made that his 
boot laces are blue and depending and a lot of people are like did they deliberately do was that a deliberate choice to mm-hmm. underline what might have happened with whatever his version of Captain Stacy is yeah um yeah it's yeah it's like and I like that because like so much of and it kind of ties in with a lot of the themes of the multiverse in this movie like so many of the themes of the multiverse are like well, what are the rules? Are there rules? Like, are there set hard and fast rules about what a, someone is always going to end up being? Mm-hmm. Or, like, can we change that? Mm. Um, it's also just interesting because this movie is coming out around the same time as Flash. And, like, I don't... I've had a lot of that movie spoiled for me because I genuinely don't give a shit and also Twitter's gone hog wild. Um, mm. But, like, you know, the Flashpoint comic it's based on has a very regressive energy of, like, if you change the past, it's going to ruin everything. Right. Whereas, like, again, Spider-Man as a hero is about breaking the rules, about, like, completely changing who you are. Like, Peter Parker's a dweeb. He's, like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man is a complete 180 from who he is as a person. It's all of the stuff he wishes he could do as regular Peter Parker amped up. Mm-hmm. Like, Peter would love to talk back to his bullies, like, out right. of the costume. But if he did, he'd get the crap kicked out of him. Right. But Spider-Man doesn't have to worry about that because he'll kick the crap out of them instead. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I lo- like I love that. Like I love how much of a core theme that is, and how that inadvertently ties with the multiverse thing. One of the things I wanted to say is like these are kind of like I also love that the multiverse stuff. You could have cut it out and still had a pretty damn satisfying movie. Like you could have just had a movie that was like Gwen and Miles's different story arcs, and then it ends on them like coming together again. Like so much of the story, like you have basically two satisfying Spider-Man stories. We talked about the beginning where it's like, oh, wrap it up, we're good. Yeah, that and was it. And it's like, it. wait, the titles are going? But then Miles's whole arc gets kind of a satisfying conclusion, and then we dive headfirst into the multiverse stuff. And I like that because it's like, oh, we would have had a great story without the multiverse, but the multiverse just multiplies all of it because it forces you to look at, like, the infiniteness of it. Like, oh, yeah, this actually goes on forever. And right. you see these patterns, and you, it forces you to grapple with, like, well, what kind of Spider-Man do I want to be? Right, exactly. Um, I do have a couple more theme ideas I want to talk about, but I do feel like they would get a little too much into spoilers, so I might save them for our next dis- our um, Patreon discussion. I don't know okay. about you. I mean, we're already at an hour and a half. I think I think we've we've covered a lot. Oh yeah, already. Are there any other miscellaneous thoughts you wanted to cover on this um, if this uh, if, specific topic? If for some horrible mistake or error you have not seen this film yet, you need to immediately change that. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, look, I, like, I've already written a weird amount about this movie. It kind of got me back into film criticism writing. Yeah. And, like, there's so many other angles. I could talk about how much I like the music, like, how, like... I love how both the villain theme and the hero theme are so simple, but that lets you do different things with them because you have all the different musical styles. This film is so good, and we talked about this earlier, about, you know, Gwen and Miles just, like, hanging out. But even in in the first one, like, they have mastered the art of just creating a vibe. Right. Yeah, like, this is another film where I'm like, you could cut out the audio, like, the dialogue and still, like, pretty much get everything it's trying to tell you about everything. Right. Um, yeah, it's like, and one of the things I wrote that I really liked about this film, that I don't think counts as a spoiler, like, Across the Spider-Verse is one thing, a lot of different things, um, but for me, it's kind of like an epic history. Like, if we're doing, like, literature, like, classical art categories, 
I would say that it falls under some kind of like epic, epic history sort of category. Because it's a culmination of everything Spider-Man. Every origin, friendship, relationship, every yeah. joke, every meme, every... Like, every basically meme, the yeah. entire 61 years of this character culminating in the longest Western animated film ever made. And by extension, it's a... It, like, it's a story about comic books. It's a story about, like... Right. Yeah. How hundreds of years of this medium, all of these gatekeepers have come up, all of these rules have been set in place... And it's about mm-hmm. how, like, you know, I talked about in our beginning about, like, happy accidents or, like, you know, weird little twists that lead to greatness. Like, Peter Parker is inherently about that, but Miles is especially. Like, his entire character is, like, dumb luck. Dumb luck that was a, there was another spider. Kind of dumb luck. Like, I like that this version leans into the idea that he got into a boarding school because of that lottery, and that's why he's insecure about it. Like, dumb mm. luck with freaking ping pong balls. Like... So many different, like, pop culture moments came together to create Miles Morales, and that kind of makes him the perfect Spider-Man, because he's like, no, forget your gatekeepers. Spider-Man's about being free. Comic books are about any infinite possibilities. The multiverse is about infinite possibilities. And, like, there hasn't been a movie that's more, like, punk rock, more bubbly, and more enthusiastically exploding all of those possibilities at once. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I was going to say, um, I, it it very much seems like, um, regardless of any other version of Spider-Man that there has been, or any other iteration that will be after this point, like, this trilogy, duo, I guess I could say, these films are the only ones, or the only Spider-Man stories that will matter, because you're right, they are the culmination of of the abstract idea that is a Spider-Man. And and you're right, just the idea of the nature of superheroes. Right. Like, yeah, especially... And, like, because, like, we talk about nerd culture a lot, and it's, like, nerd culture has so many, like, fences up and stuff. It's, like... Right. Simultaneously, this is a perfect encapsulation of everything that's come before, but also, like, well, let's not bind ourselves to what came before anymore. That's not mm-hmm. fun. Again, maybe one of the easiest points to make is how so many of the alternate Peter, uh, Spider-Man are just a Peter Parker, but there's only one Miles Morales. Right. There's only one That's Spider-Man. True. Before we transition into our spoiler talk, I do want to ask you one question for the main feed. So, our Spider-Sonas, would we have come from the same universe, both gotten bitten by the same spider, and then teamed up? Or would we have been from different realities and then formed a podcast after we met through some time-traveling shenanigans or dimension-hopping shenanigans? I mean, I think the answer's pretty obvious that we would be have origins in two different dimensions, for sure, and then would have, like, found each other later. That's what seems most parallel to our friendship anyway. It does. I do like the idea that we're just, like, hanging around, and one of us is, like, loudly talking about a movie, and you're, the other one's like, oh, we don't have that movie in our dimension. So we just dimension hop to watch each other's movies, and then we're like, we should form a podcast. That, yeah, that does sound cool. <laughs> yeah, that's our, uh, that's our OC do not steal creation. Exactly. Our spider yeah. sodas. <laughs> exactly. Um, and as me and Sydney continue to travel across the spider-verse i'm carter and i'm sydney and keep swinging true believers thanks for listening 
The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.